This show is part of the Other Side Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Binary Time Show, uh, Series 8, Episode 8, on this early October morning in 2020. This is Wayne here from a, well, a slightly still Bristol with, um, let me just pull up the app there, it's just got, the screen's gone behind. So, uh, sadly we have got like 10 to 12 degrees today. Sun and cloud, overcast in the evening and some rain in the night, kind of 20 to 25 kilometer per hour winds. Um, so that should be an interesting, an interesting day, nice and still. Over there on the other side, we have Mark. How are you doing, Mark? Yeah, I'm not doing too bad. Uh, it's, it's just starting to get, it's just starting to get bright here. And I'm, I'm amazed actually looking out your back window at the, the difference between how bright your place is compared to mine. You know, and we're only not that far apart, really. That's true. And it even surprised me when you said it, uh, because I didn't even expect it, you know, that there would be uh, brightness differences between our places. Yeah, because we are not that far apart. Yeah, yeah. So I suppose it's it's funny how the the world keeps turning and all the rest of us. But um, it's going to be a a cloudy and wet day here for the day. Uh, highs of 13 and lows of uh, 10 through the day. But get this right. Uh, they reckon highs of 11 and lows of 11 degrees tonight. Wow. So it's actually, I mean, it could actually be warmer through the night than it could be through the day. And I read an interesting article actually recently uh, on how Night times are becoming disproportionately uh, warmer than daytimes hmm. because of all this uh, climate change and cloud cover, basically. So I suppose the cloud is keeping the sunlight out through the day, so it's not getting it's not getting as warm as it might do due to climate change. But then, because of all the cloud cover at night, it's staying warmer. So temperatures. Average temperatures are basically higher at nighttime than they are, or than the average temperature gain has been through the daytime because of all this climate change mess. So there's an interesting little tidbit for you. <laughs> well done. I mean, it is interesting, the changes we're experiencing. All right, for sure. And um, uh, listeners will probably realise that uh, it's, uh, it's just me and Mark today. We had the liberty of guests for the last couple of weeks. So we're going to have to... Uh, we're going to have to pull it out of the bag, Mark. Um, I don't actually have to talk about stuff. I know, I know. I uh, go, oh, wow. <laughs> I, was, I was getting a bit too relaxed, I think, there for a while. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. So dare I ask uh, what you've been up to for the last fortnight? Or maybe we could even go for the last six weeks if you wanted, because uh, I don't think we've, we've even spoken about what we've been doing. Um, oh, God, I doubt if my memory would serve me. That far enough back to talk about the last six weeks. <laughs> yeah, I do know what you mean. <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah, I've, I've been uh, busy. Uh, I suppose things are 
things have been opening up a bit uh, here, but it looks like we're going to be closing back down again fairly dramatically. We had a bit of a, a hoo-ha in this country over the, the weekend where um, our national nefet, they're called national emergency crowds, uh, were recommending we go to level five, which is the highest level. It's basically lockdown again. But then the, the government came out on the, the Monday and said, no, no, we only need to go to level three. I was oblivious to most of this on Sunday because I was going at it with my tourist moxes. Exciting. I've been looking forward to hearing about this one, actually. <laughs> yeah, so I actually got more tourist hardware. So they have a new item out and it's called the tourist shield. So what this is, is a basically a, a home firewall. Mm -hmm. So an always updated hardware firewall. Uh, it easily connects between your modem and router. Setup is just a matter of minutes. It's a unique firewall software. It does not put you at risk and brings updates instantly. And it also has a VPN. So it's, it's touted as a plug and play device. You plug it in between, we'll say, your modem or your, your router and your home network. And that's it. It just works. So it basically uh, detects, the way it works is it detects any nefarious activity hitting your your network and then it reports that back to um, CZNIC and they see all these other reports coming in from all these other bad things happening and then they write updates and block any of these things from hitting your network, which is pretty cool. So you just plug this thing in and let it do its thing. Is that what you're telling me? Basically, yeah. <laughs> and, and you didn't have to do any documentation reading or uh, setup or uh, <laughs> no firewall rules to write. This is a good cover an hour's worth of a show, Mark. What are you talking about? <laughs> exactly. So, well, that, that's the thing. I mean, it is literally plug and play. But having said that, I spent most of Sunday <laughs> plugging and playing. <laughs> right. You know, it was just, uh, I had one of those detectnik is a hund moments, you know. I suppose the, the, the good part of the story is I have my entire household now tourists to the hilt. I have my, my tourist shield working. I have my tourist mocks with its uh, 16 ports and a, a WAM port and all the rest of it. And I have my little, um, just the, the Taurus A controller giving me my, my Wi-Fi. So I have three different Taurus Moxes in my, my home network now. That's really good, though. So, you was, I mean, it gets you used to a single interface, as in, you know, a front end exactly. for, for managing it. And I'm sure the options don't change too much, do they, for between the devices? They do and they don't. Um, the... The Taurus A, the Wi-Fi one on its own, is the most difficult to set up. Remember I was talking there a few weeks ago where I changed the, the IP address in it and it just went bleh. Oh, yes. And I couldn't do anything with it anymore. And um, I DD'd the, the, the SD card. Mm -hmm. um, I then... Put that back in, wouldn't boost, tried some of the, the reboot options, couldn't get it to boot. 
Uh, and then on the, the Sunday, uh, I just sat down with it again and I, I reflashed the the SD card again. Still couldn't get it to boot. So I ended up just going with the internet boot option, which basically um, you just wait for six of the, the way these things start. You, if you're having problems, you've got a little pin or a little hole that you can, a pinhole that you can put a pin in and you've all these various different options that you can use. So uh, I think one is a normal boot, two is uh, boot to factory default and all this kind of stuff, right? So option six then is an internet boot where what it does is it goes out to CZNIC, takes the latest firmware, puts it on the SD card and then boots up. And that is the option that ended up working for me. And it was it was the last option I wanted to choose because I wanted just to basically DD the, the SD card and get it working that way. But yeah, I just went for the the Internet boost out of um, out of frustration and it, it worked. <laughs> you know, it works perfectly fine. But that's so a one off now, thing, isn't it? Is that a one off thing or is that is that or is it doing that every time it boots now or is it? No, it's a one off thing. Yeah. OK. So basic, and what happens is you, it gives you this kind of um, basic setup. So it boots up into that, then you log into it, and then uh, you go through the, the setup, and then you're there. So I just set it up as a, a Wi-Fi access point, and um, that was it, you know. So, so I was very pleasantly surprised with that, and that was the last thing I did on the Sunday, and I just sat back and went... I've done it. <laughs> I have my tourist network, you know. Well done, because that's been hanging over your head for maybe for at least four years. Um, ten years, yeah. Ten years, ten years. OK, sorry. My bad. Um, and uh, it's great to hear you sort it out. And actually, I don't know, it, it seems to me, even though, I mean, no IT project comes without its uh, quirks, shall we say. But it seems to me like you kind of enjoy the process in some respects. I did. And it came down to actually setting the time aside to do it. You know, because I find with everything I do these days, I spend an hour at it, max. And if I haven't got it sorted in the hour, I'm moving on to something else and I get put aside. Mark! <laughs> <laughs> An hour for an I'm, IT issue. Gosh. I'm just looking at your eyes. <laughs> I'm like an hour and I'm probably gone through the first paragraph in the manual, you know. Oh, well, that's it, you know. And that's that's why everything takes me so long. Because I do it in these little mini chunks. You know, and by the time you get back to it again, you've forgotten the, the mini chunk you did before. So you yeah. have to go back over that. Whereas at least... Sunday, I basically started at nine o'clock. Now, the thing is, it took me until it was three or four o'clock before I had everything set up. Right. right. And this is plug and play kind of kit, you know. <laughs> but um, the Torah Shield was the hardest. Really? I thought, OK, OK. That was really annoying because I actually thought it was, I, was, I was messing around and I was going to put everything behind the Torah Shield. So I was going to have Torah Shield. Um, and then my, my Taurus mocks for the, the home network mm -hmm. and then uh, the 
the terrorist mocks for the, the Wi-Fi all sitting behind <clears throat> the terrorist shield. I decided against that. I, I now have separate networks and all that kind of stuff. And I suppose that's probably a good thing in that I can um I can separate the, the loadout and the, the network and not have, you know, everything sitting behind one device behind one device kind of way. Mm-hmm. But um it, the reason that prompted me to do that was one of the ports on the, the Torah Shield wasn't working. It was funny when I when I plugged in the my network Torah Mox will say into the Torah Shield, I noticed that the, the WAN port was only registering as a ten meg. Ah. Oh god, this is very, very odd. But um I then I thought Maybe it's because it doesn't want to see a WAN behind a WAN and all this kind of stuff. I don't know. I, I was guessing, you know, so I changed the, the WAN port on the Taurus Mox in my network to a LAN port. And, you know, just had it sitting there and it was still registering as 10 meg. I, I should have known it would do that. But, um, and that's the, the thing I love about the Taurus Mox is it's so modular and it's just a GUI. Mm-hmm. So you can just go in and you can change your, your WAN to a LAN. Now, it can be a bit finicky. It doesn't always want to do what you're trying to do. And that's the problem with GUIs. Mm-hmm. Probably better off going onto the, the command line to do these kind of things. Oh, and that's another thing as well. Um, at the command line, there's no nano in it or anything. It's only VI. <laughs> <laughs> Finally. Okay, very good. But uh, back to the port. Um, so that port wasn't working for me anyway. So behind the, the turret shield, I had um, my son's PC and the Wi-Fi and a, just a laptop mm-hmm. that I was testing everything on. So laptop was working way ground, Linux laptop, happy days. The, the Wi-Fi was working, all happy days. So I said, right, done and dusted. So of course, my, my young fella wasn't awake at this stage, so I just left it at that. But then... Um, Somewhere around midday, he woke up. So I said, just just for completeness and everything, I go in and test that his PC was working. So I went in, turned it on, couldn't get a network connection. So I was going, oh, bloody hell, Windows is doing its usual thing, you know? <laughs> so um, I then uh, thought it might be something like I kept on messing with Windows, doing bits and pieces, couldn't get it to work. So then I said, maybe. The, the shield doesn't like talking to a switch, you know, because it was a switch to a switch. So, and it was an old type of switch. So I said, okay, what I'll do is I'll try a different uh, switch and see if it works with that. And of course it didn't. So then I said, well, maybe because it's switch, switch to switch, it's looking for a cross cable. Maybe it doesn't auto-negotiate or something. I was thinking, why am I thinking this? Because this is brand new hardware. Of course mm. it auto-negotiates. But I say just mm-hmm. to be able to say, okay, it's not that. Uh, I ended up making a, a cross cable. Mm-hmm. Plugged it in, still wouldn't work. So I was going, oh, man. This has to be a Windows thing, right? So I took the laptop that I knew was working uh, because it was connected directly to the shield, brought it in and um, plugged it into the, the switch and wouldn't work. So I was going, what is going on? 
So I took the shield out of it. I just connected directly from, we'll say, the the turret shield over the, the cable and plugged that directly into the laptop. And it still wasn't working. So I was going, what on earth is going on? So at that stage, I was kind of scratching my head, but I just went back then and just changed the, the port that I was plugged into and it worked fine. Oh, so I was thinking, geez, that's a bit, that's a bit much now. Brand new out of the box mm-hmm. turret shields and uh, port three isn't working. So I emailed them anyway and said, look, did all this, yada, 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 port three isn't working. Uh, what are the next steps? And it turns out that it's a known issue. Oh. And it's a, a software patch is required. So I'm just waiting for the, the software patch and I should oh, have my, my third port. And they're going to give you 50 quid an hour for the time you wasted in troubleshooting this? <laughs> yeah. But I think it's, it's mad to think that they've released this hardware. Yeah as an easy-to-use plug-and-play device with a serious bug. I mean, you have a non-functioning port. Yeah, a non-functioning port is serious. I mean, I was hearing you say those, que- those words come out of your head in the order that you put them. And um, the fact that somebody selling you something as doing this, but actually, you know... Easy to use is, I don't know of too many technological devices that end up being easy to use, despite the best marketing yeah. ploys by some of the best companies out there and best in inverted commas. Um, and uh, so, but yeah, but a non-working port, that's a, that's a different beast altogether. Big time, big time. But have, actually, going through the setup is easy as. Mm, I mean, correct. all you have to do is, like, it, it kind of makes all the hard decisions for you. So, you know, all you have to do is tell us where you are. And I don't think there's an awful lot more than that, you know? Okay. Yeah, that should be within our capabilities. <laughs> Most of the time, anyway, I can usually handle that much, yeah. you know? Yeah, it better have had Kilkishan, that's all I can say as an option. <laughs> um, <didn't>. <laughs> how many ports are on the shield? It's a uh, one-man port yeah. and four, four LAN ports. And the LAN ports, uh, you know, use case scenario of this thing, they imagine what? That you're putting potentially four switches behind this device? The rest of your network, basically. It's acting as your firewall to your network. Okay. So even though that's acting as your firewall, um, so when you have your router plugged in, so is there a router behind the shield? No, my router's in front of the shield. Ah, okay, I see. Interesting. Because I'm still on, um, what am I on? I suppose I'm on VDSL. You know, so, I mean, my broadband comes in through the phone line. Mm-hmm. Okay. And this thing only has, you know, an Ethernet port. Right. Okay. I see. Uh, okay. Interesting. Interesting. Just, uh, just trying to figure out where this device sat. So you could potentially end up with a modem, a router, 
uh, your shield and a, a switch device, you could potentially well, end up. I suppose if you had a modem, you would push your shield behind that. Okay, okay, yeah, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and you could, I suppose, potentially, well, I suppose you'd still want a, a router then behind the shield because it's only supposed to act as a a firewall, but it's a routing device. Yeah, must be a routing device. Uh, it's just it interesting. It interests me in that it has, it just interests me what it's doing. I don't know if it's working a bit more like an IDS or something or... or uh, yeah. Because it's you're not putting firewall rules into this thing, even though you're calling it a firewall to me, which well, is kind you can. of you can. Okay, so you can do yep. all your firewalling on the shield. Yep. IP tables. IP tables. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I mean, but yeah. that's all hidden from you. You can do it if you want, but because it's a plug and play kind of device. Yeah. You know, you don't have to. If you don't want to. Yeah. So you have a network set up and it's working so have, and you're aware yeah. of the port. Yes. So hopefully that'll be patched soon enough. But I'm I'm just um extremely happy with my setup now. Great. You know, I have it set up the way I want. And I like the fact that with the Taurus, it's it's kind of like the whole KDE principle. It can be as easy as you want, basically. Mm -hmm. You know, so you can let it do all the hard work for you. But then when you want to dive in and do something different, you can also do that too. Now, I, and I suppose that's where my other bugbear would be um, with, with the Tauruses, is that you've got the, the simple GUI and then you've got the advanced GUI. Now, the simple GUI is called Forest. Now, that has changed to something called Reforest. And then you've got the other one, and it's Loris. And that gives you a lot more uh, in terms of options and everything. But I still found it a bit limiting. So you really have to go to the command line. Okay. If you want to do your thing. That was my experience anyway. Interesting. And I suppose I would have expected um, for it all to be able to be done from a, from a GUI. But it's nice as well yeah. To, yeah. to have the option to go to the command line and do it the way it should be done. And the command line is, what's, the, what's that system? Is it a Linux uh, box or...? Oh, yeah, well, it's, it's OpenWRT. OpenWRT. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Yeah. Very good. So all, all happy days, you know. Any other shenanigans going on on your side? Um, yeah, I've been playing around with the Vola. Oh, yes. Vola phone. Now, I actually got onto the, the Vola team and asked them for the Vola OS itself. So they were kind enough to, to send it on to me. Um, but I suppose last weekend I had, my plan was to uh, start off with getting my network set up and then playing around with the Vola after that. But as it turned out, my, my Saturday just came and went doing other stuff. 
so I didn't do anything. So it was only on the Sunday that I got to play around with stuff. And sure, my Sunday was spent messing around with the, the Tauruses. Ah, yeah. Uh, which is quite funny considering it's a plug and play setup. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> a lot of it, a lot of that is my own fault as well, because I suppose I kind of just enjoy getting stuck in and. Sure. Not even stuck in, but just. Digging around. Know. Yeah, 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 exactly. And um, so I didn't spend an awful lot of time with the Vola as it was. So I'm still on Ubuntu Touch on that. I didn't flash it to the Vola OS, but I'm hoping to to get into that uh, very soon. But it also turns out that the Vola people are actually looking for, looking to employ people. Ah. Yeah. So they just announced it at the, at the end of uh, September and they're looking for employees to strengthen the Vola team. They're looking for one employee for our customer communications and one freelance software developer who would like to participate in the maintenance and further development of the Vola OS or Ubuntu Touch for the Vola phone. So it's good to see someone is hiring during this whole COVID mess. Yes, that's true. You know, and um, I hope they find someone soon. And, uh, you know, like this Vola phone just seems to be going from strength to strength. Ubuntu Touch is getting a lot better on it. Mm -hmm. Still a few bugs in it, but it's not November yet. I reckon they've a, a good chance of being a lot of the way there. Right. So yeah, it's uh, it's good, and I'm I'm really looking forward to to seeing how it gets on, and I'm looking forward to testing out VolOS as well. I've been reading a lot about it, and it, it looks like a really nice uh, user interface. You know, so so that's more or less what I've been up to, you know. Very good. Uh, yeah, interesting. Very interesting. Um, you must send me a map of your network. Even though you spoke a lot about it there, I, I do better with an image. But um, yeah, interesting. Interesting stuff. The thing is, if, if I send you a map, it'll probably be changed by the, the next, <laughs> next week or whatever. I'm a for... I'll do it this way. No, I'll do it this way. Uh, sure, I'll do it some other way. <laughs> Let's do. Let's use Nextcloud and uh, have a, a, a an online collaborative collaborative document. Indeed, indeed. Before I talk about that, uh, funny you talk about networking there because I have been. So I have a, a, a Netgear switch here, and it's an eight port switch, but it has two SFP ports, and SFP is like small form factor pluggable modules that you can like, which you can mm. hot plug network interfaces like use for telecommunications or data communication applications, an SFP interface on networking hardware is a modular slot for media-specific transceiver in order to connect a fiber optic cable or sometimes a copper cable. Now, I went for a copper cable because I just wanted to... I had I have eight ports on this switch, and with these two SFP sections, I... It's not that I wanted to connect 10 gig into it or to put fiber into it or anything like that. I actually just wanted to expand the switch and use the two extra ports. So when I looked this up in the past, I I thought the Netgear switch wanted very specific model number SFP ports. And I was and I didn't want to take a chance buying things that wouldn't be compatible. So but I I don't know, whatever happened in the last few weeks, I decided actually, do you know what? I want to use those SFP ports and I want to bring my main internet 
data connection into one of them and I wanted to put my NAS drive on the other. So, you know, so it's two specific ports that kind of stand out that can have specific purposes. So, hmm, um, so I ordered those two devices and plugged them in. And um, so I only went for one gig and their copper um, transceiver modules. And I was worried about compatibility and all this. I, I thought I'd be getting two devices that may or may not work. And um, I've plugged them both in and they're both working absolutely fine. So I've gone from an eight port switch to a 10 port switch. Actually, it's more than an eight port switch because I have another eight port switch plugged into it, which isn't ideal. I understand it's just pushing the traffic into another switch. But the items that I've plugged into the second switch are, let's just say, less important. I've kind of used my switches in levels of importance, but I am um, what I should really be doing is just buying a 24 port switch or something like that and putting everything on a single switch would be the proper way to do this but um not the switches are expensive or anything but i just don't want to be suddenly be left with two or three switches now that i now don't have a use for yeah yeah and i am just a home network after all that um but that was interesting to do and actually i've never been excited more excited than i have been in yesterday after the, the modules coming and plugging them in and getting the extra two ports um, I don't know why such a simple thing um, and something that worked straight away uh, excited me. But um, yeah, it was a, really was a plug and play situation and I didn't spend my whole Sunday doing it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that was that was that was good. Um, I've also spent my last Saturday sitting watching the Nextcloud conference. Yeah. And that was really interesting, actually. Um, of course, I missed the keynote a little bit because I was off a little bit of my timing. There was a time difference that I hadn't taken into account. But I watched quite a few of the talks and uh, most of our listeners know that we'll know that we're huge Nextcloud fans here. And um, but Nextcloud Hub 20 is released. And it was quite interesting, the things that they um, spoke about in the keynote. They had 10 things, uh, you know, to be honest, I can barely remember two, but I I'll do my best. Um, the big one is a dashboard and um, anyone who's used Microsoft Office 365 will, not to say that it's similar, it's actually quite different. They use like a cards type system. So you, when you log into Nextcloud now, or in, if you have Nextcloud 20, it goes to this, um, dashboard where you can have your your recommended files your talk mentions your calendar your upcoming events in your calendar and you it, it and I, what i didn't realize as well is how much they integrated the deck app now the deck app in nextcloud is a sort of a kanban style uh productivity app and kanban just is this sort of um well, you can have three sets of cards such as uh, to do, doing and done would be a simple way of doing it. And you'd, 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 you'd have your item in to do and you could drag it into doing when you're when you're actually doing it and drag it into done when it's done. So you can have a kind of a you can you can have an interesting flow of of, of how you're getting on with your tasks, I guess. But I, I, the bit I didn't realize was how integrated deck was into um, Nextcloud. So when you are if you are using deck in Nextcloud, the deck app, which is this Kanban style app, um, you can have all the other users that you might have related to a project that you're working in can also feed into that Kanban board for that project. Now, 
I use nice. Nextcloud as a single user, and I'm sure, Mark, we could use it better if I could ever get you to sign in uh, for the Binary <laughs> Times. <laughs> uh, uh, um, 2FA, uh, huh? 2FA, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but, it, you know, that was just the... the, the and of course, you can customize the dashboard and just put up the cards that you want. And another big thing from the Nextcloud 20 is they're, they're kind of playing heavy on the status symbol of your profile. So whether you're available or unavailable or on holiday or, or, or whatever, those um, status uh, notification. Uh, what, what am I? I don't know what word I'm looking for. St your status light, for example, will give you or your status uh, version. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm missing the words here. But th that will give you a certain certain level of notification um, madness, shall we say. So if, if you're online and available, you'll be getting all your notifications. If you're off, if you want to be do not be, if you've got do not disturb, none of your notifications will come through and all that kind of stuff. I'm tending to turn my notifications off for, for everything. Yeah. Um, especially even with Element now, um, the notifications were integrated into into my KDE desktop. So every time someone said something, I get a little pop up on, on the, the bottom of the screen. And I've just said, I don't want that anymore. Um, I need less distraction. So I'm basically turning off notifications for, for most things. One of the big features of Mate, uh, the 20 or 4 version of Mate as well, was having this central notification area. And you know what? It, it's the first thing I've switched off as well and not have mm. because I don't really want the app notifying me and the desktop notifying me and if anything. <laughs> yeah. But the idea actually was meant to be that it's a, an area where you can manage notifications, but it ended up being a, an area where I just switched everything off. So I do understand mm. what you mean, actually. Mm. But I guess it's useful if you're a number of people in working in an organization using Nextcloud and you want to know if people are available or unavailable just by looking at their status light in, 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 in the in the Oh, absolutely. Whether people are contactable or not. Um, so they make remote working doable. Yes, I guess. Yeah, that's right. For remote working perfectly. Yeah. And I've, as we had Yas on last episode, he he mentioned to us that the main um, overhanging uh, theme around this version of Nextcloud was uh, Home Office. So they've got the new dashboard. They've got Unified Search, which actually at the time I was going ah, but now that I think of it, that's actually quite useful. You know, having a your your single search box at the top of Nextcloud will search everything. You know, so it'll even search the results of some of your Nextcloud apps. Now, they've intra they have, even for external services like uh, GitLab and Discourse and stuff like that. Now, they've also seemed to spend a lot of time in this release um, bridging platforms. So they're bridging uh, MS Teams, for example, and Slack and IRC and Matrix and, uh, and a dozen others, they say. That's a good thing. Yeah. You know, I mean, you need to be able to, to play with the big boys, too. Mm-hmm. If you want to be relevant. Yeah, uh, yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, I think you're right. If you want to be relevant, yeah. If you wanted to succeed, <laughs> you know, and I guess mm -hmm. that's, a, that's a big thing, isn't it? You know, there's a way to succeed and there's a way to suck eggs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Look at we like eggs, you know. Um, 
<laughs> so, uh, so I'll quickly run through some of the things here as well. So we've added a status setting so you can communicate with others with what you're up to. It's not, it's not just the light. You can actually put in a little text after it and people will see what you're up to and where you are. Talk brings a dashboard with search integration, emoji picker, upload view, camera and microphone settings. Uh, mute and more. Uh, calendar integrates in the dashboard in, and search. Mail introduces a new threaded view with some more mailbox management facilities. Deck integrates with the dashboard, which I kind of mentioned earlier. Uh, some other app improvements. Text introduced, direct linking to files in Nextcloud. I can imagine that being kind of useful, actually. And files lets you add description to public link shares. I mean, I think that's quite, it's a small thing, but it's a nice one as well, that when you send somebody a public link, you can actually put a description next to the file and, and, let, and, and, and you can let them know what the file is. And I've been sending files out in Nextcloud, you know, semi-regularly, actually, just to people, things I want to share with people. And they just gave you the option to add a note, whereas the, in the note, you don't really see the little note icon when they get a link. It's just a tiny little icon up up next to download and I just wonder how many people would click on it. But actually having a description next to a file you're sharing, I imagine being quite useful as well. Yeah, yeah, big time. It gives context to the whole thing. But just before you go on, you were saying the search includes online search, does it? Um, I don't think online search, but I, I think more um, it includes search for integrated apps in Nextcloud. So if you've got a GitLab app. There's an app. Okay. Yeah. 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 So right, it's not. It. it doesn't go out. No, I don't think so. Anyway, because I was wondering how how if that was the case, how was that implemented? Because that kind of you know takes away from the whole self-hosting thing altogether, really, doesn't it? Because your search would have to go somewhere. Yes. I mean, when I saw Frank talk about it on the talk about integrating. Um, connectivity between some of the bigger players in Nextcloud. He spoke about it in a way of trying to convert users to move from some of these bigger platforms and use Nextcloud. Hmm. I know that sort of sidetracks slightly from your search question there, but um, it just came to me as you were speaking and asking about that. And I thought it was worth mentioning. Yeah. And I suppose it, it's true. I mean, that's why Firefox and Thunderbird were so successful in the first place, because they were available on Windows and they were far superior products to Internet Explorer. And, you know, your, what was the, the cut down version of Outlook that you used to have on PCs? Was it Outlook Express or something? Or? Outlook Express. Yeah, yeah, that's the one. So... God, imagine if uh, LibreOffice had turned around and called their Community Edition Express Edition. <laughs> <laughs> LibreOffice Express. It sounds faster. It does indeed, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Just put the right colours on it and you're good to go. Yeah. LibreOffice Red Stripe Zoom Zoom. Yeah, LibreOffice Red. <laughs> um... <laughs> very but um yeah so yeah so that I, I mean it was really interesting i'm looking forward to trying it out i would love to know of places that use you know small numbers of users like i don't know small businesses that use nextcloud and stuff like that um i've been i know this is quite unlike me but i've been very despondent the last um 40 years 
uh, about <laughs> everything. And um, so I, I kind of because I just see uh, I just see Microsoft everywhere, Mark, and I kind of um, I, I was thinking about us during the week and this show and us talking about the things we talk about on a on a fortnightly basis. And a lot of these issues and things are very pertinent to us. And um, and it comes down to place in the world and your place in the world and my place in the world and where we see things sitting and stuff. And then I actually go out into the world and I actually see. Well, actually, I don't go out in the world at all anymore because I don't know, it's far too frightening. So I go to work and come home. Yeah. But um, so don't I don't forget I, your mask. Yeah. And um, I, geez, I didn't I wasn't even thinking about that, but it's funny you mention it. Um, but I just see and hear Microsoft Office everywhere. And I think about kind of the amount of time and effort that we put into our open source lives and our open source message and actually free software message, because it, even that's a gray area, you know, using the words open source. Um, and I did mention to you in the ch in a chat recently that you know that I wouldn't mind looking into s trying to set up the software and hardware requirements of of what might be required for an open source school. I didn't I couldn't think of better way w words mm. to use to um, to do this. And I got discouraged pretty early on because I just don't know who would use it and stuff. <laughs> I, I, yeah. No, that's something I've been thinking about for a long time as well, for at least probably as long as we've been doing this show, if not longer. I would like to see my my local schools using it. And I suppose I've I've tried initiatives and nudges and stuff like that, and I haven't really been getting anywhere, but I suppose I really would like to have something set up and demo it for them and show them how good this could be. And I suppose that's going to be an awful lot of effort. It is, I guess. Yeah, you know? it is. You'd have to choose your software carefully, but that actually makes sense now that you say that to me, that, yeah, have a working model that you can put in place that they can see. I'm already having discussions with my managers about our next Microsoft license model that we're going to jump onto. And it's just funny to hear that Microsoft has the next, you know, COVID aware license model ready um, to go um, before we even uh, kind of think of it. And um, because I was just going to consider purchasing a load of versions of Office 2019. Don't ask me why. It is just, I'm like, don't ask me why. To, to put on machines. And of course, there's a rental model ready for us to jump on already on a per user basis uh, per month that where mm. everyone's getting the latest version of Office. But, um, and we are a school. I work for a school, basically. And uh, I don't know, I, my, my voice isn't really heard as an IT guy, which I find very um, frustrating. Um, Nonetheless, I um, still have to do their bidding. Yeah, I suppose you probably have to implement the the business model in an IT structure. And yes. I suppose if you were to ensconce your IT, um, not requirements, but 
what you would like to see in to their business model, you might have some traction. You know, if you could put it in terms of ease of use and portability of data and um, cheaper. Yes, perhaps. But I have I'd be dealing with an organization that's been using MS products for 10, 15 years and trying to introduce something new. And I'm even finding difficulty getting to getting them to do something slightly different, even within the MS model, let alone push an infrastructure change. Yeah, yeah. Because people get people get used to things. I mean, we're always talking about this, uh, even with Ubuntu Touch and with everything we talk about on this show. I feel like people really get used to things and we're interested enough to be we're interested enough to want to make changes and to look outside of our comfort zone, although that's not quite right, but to, to, to look outside what's available and to implement solutions that will that, that align with our core beliefs. But I just see 99% of the population that does not come into their mindset. And I suppose even going back to the our conversation with Yoss, like, no, IT admin never lost his job for choosing Microsoft. <laughs> yes, this know? is true. Yep. And I mean, Microsoft can force as many changes upon people as they like almost at will. And people still accept it because it's Microsoft. They can even force them to either lose their data or upgrade because of non-compatibility with older versions. And people still stick with that. I, it boggles the mind. It does boggle the mind because I wasted an hour of my time and an hour of my company's money, money talking about license models with our external IT people. I'm not the only source of IT. I kind of don't want to be actually for our organization. It's too much to expect of one person. It is, yeah, and especially now because I'm level one, two and three support and expected to be managing some of the projects that come in and I'm just doing everything and I'm, I'm, I'm like, I will come out of that organization a very tired human being. And uh, I was I was tired. I think I came out of the womb a, t a tired human being, to be honest. But um, oh, I had hopes for the first 10 years, but they got dashed pretty quick. <laughs> A place in the world is really interesting for me, and it's something I've struggled with for years because it's I feel like I'm the sort of person who's been on the fringes for a long time. And do I put myself at the fringes? I do. I do, I guess, but all for a very good reason, In at least in my own core belief system. And uh, but being on the fringes is, is, is very tiresome. And it is, um, it is hard constantly. It constantly, constantly on the fringes and uh, my acceptance level isn't very good of, of uh, so I, I just go through work being frustrated that we're kind of using all the MS stuff, whereas I know there's all this other software out there that we talk about and that we and we have a good listener base that actually uses this software as well. Mm. And they're willing to help and offer advice and everything. It's, it's fantastic. That is true. I forget Bringing about the good people bits. together. I'm not very good at um, thinking about the good bits of anything. 
Like when I eat a kind of a chocolate ring donut or stuff, I've even forgotten about the good bits even when I'm pushing it through my face. <laughs> yes, there is that. There is that. But I feel we're preaching to the converted and um, we'll, mm. I feel like we'll always be a minority. Um, oh, there might be funding for that. Actually. Uh, but um, the... <laughs> 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 Sorry, I couldn't have gotten a dig in there. Um, but the so yeah, so I don't know. It's frustrating. I find it really frustrating, actually. Um, Oh, but that said, I want to bring this around to a positive story. Uh, I feel like, sorry if I've taken the mood down there. That's my natural position in life. Um, but I want to bring this around to a kind I'm of... I'm laughing a, anyway. Uh, good, good. I'm glad. Uh, my dour demeanour extends further and wider now that we've got a show that I can actually push it out on. Indeed. We got an email from a chap called Rick, who is working in Ethiopia on a project. And this was really interesting, actually. It was... um, Okay, let me let me just kind of read out a section from him. It, he he runs a sort of a they've got a distribution of Linux called Wasta Linux, and I don't know if he runs that. And I was when he first kind of told me about this, I was like, oh, another distribution. I was like, I was wondering how this worked. But when I was um, when I read about what he he was doing. Uh, he said, I would like to explain our motivation for making this choice. The outcome of this move means that we have seen so far and why we feel that Linux is the best operating system choice for our work for both national colleagues and partners with low education and technical skills and for more experienced national colleagues and expats working alongside them. He says, I also want to be clear up front in suggesting that our organisation should seriously consider increasing efforts to enable users in developing countries to use Linux in their translation and liter- literacy efforts. And this was the Linux, may, I hope, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, but they put all, they did all the correct sort of uh, nationalisation and language and... Um, had all the correct settings set up for users already who want to use this uh, version of Linux in their countries. And look, I admire them. Well done, Rick, uh, out there and actually pushing, putting Linux out in the community and everybody using it and people not being tied to proprietary platforms and having the, still having the latest of greatest of software that's available in that ecosystem. It's absolutely fantastic, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's inspiring stuff. And for me, this is what free and open source software is all about. It's about empowering people to be able to use technology in the way they see best. Mm -hmm. Not what some corporation decides is how we should use technology, but what is best for us, no matter where we are in the world or what our financial capabilities are. We can use this software and make the world a better place. It's incredible. Yeah, fair play. Good man, and, Rick. Yeah, good man. And, uh, you know, well done for uh, putting yourself in a position where you can actually um, do this. Uh, I, I think I'm frustrated that I'm not in a position where I can uh, make a, a difference. Oh, well, uh, here I am talking over the uh, packets, etc. But, um, so, so yeah, congratulations. Well done. We'll have a link in the show notes to the... Well, that's yeah. where the whole education comes in for me as well. I mean, if we could, if, you know, we can teach people in schools the, the value of free and open source software, it would be a great thing, you know? Sure. 
Please do write into us, folks. We do always appreciate hearing your stories and we're delighted to hear stories. We always mention this in the show anyway. We should probably bring this around to Under the Hood, Mark. It's probably come to that time. So what do you have for us this episode? This, I'm not sure if it's a segment piece or an Under the Hood, but going back to our uh, 2FIA shenanigans through the, the last while, uh, I went and I went back to looking at Nitro Key. Mm-hmm. And um, I really like the idea of that. Now, I haven't actually, you see, I'm a bit, um, I'm slightly, uh, not on board with the whole 2FA thing. <laughs> I've noticed. <laughs> and my problem has always been the, okay, you've got the something you have and the something you know, right? Mm-hmm. Now, the something you have being a phone, more often than not, I'm going to change a phone or do something stupid without having done the proper backups in the first place so that I can transfer my 2FA onto something else I have, right? And then you end up losing access to services and all kinds of crazy stuff. And every time it happens to me, I just go, ah, <laughs> you know, why haven't I learned this by now? Yeah. That's where I, I'm very iffy about especially having hardware keys and stuff. Because knowing me, I'm going to lose the hardware key or something's going to happen to it. It's going to get corrupted at some stage and my backup will be somewhere that I've forgotten about where it is or I can't find it. And <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of OK. Please continue. So so having said all that, I was looking at the, the Nitro key uh, site and uh, I like how they're doing it and I would be kind of um, inclined to, to get one now. I haven't actually gotten one yet but what really uh, kind of caught my eye was their NitroPad X230. Have you seen that or come across that at all? I haven't. You'd even have to tell me what the difference is between a Nitro key and a YubiKey or a Solo key. Uh, well, probably um, the difference between a nitro key and a solo key would be not much because they're both uh, use free and open source software. Okay. Uh, YubiKey is proprietary as far as I know. Yeah. I wouldn't go near YubiKey basically. Mm-hmm. Um, but with both the solo keys and the, the nitro keys, they're both free and open source uh, software implementations. And is on the nitro key, is the hardware implementation open source? No, it is open source and open hardware, open source software and hardware. Yeah. I knew there was a reason why it interested me. And mm-hmm. they're also manufactured in Germany rather than anywhere else, mm-hmm. which I think is a, a plus for me. I'm not trying to sound overly Eurocentric or whatever, but I think where your hardware is manufactured uh, does make a, a difference in how in what level of trust you can place in it. And that's the thing. It depends on the level of oversight in the manufacturing process is what should determine your your trust level in the device. Right. And for me, uh, the Nitro key has that. 
And okay, the the nitro key, you've got various um, USB keys. Now, I found that a small bit confusing as well in that they have a number of uh, different USB keys. So which one do you choose? Mm -hmm. There's all that. Uh, but then they've got the nitro key or the nitro pad X230, which is basically uh, a ThinkPad. And it's a secure working, or as they put it, it's secure working in insecure environments. Unique hardware protection through measured boot, uh, tamper detection. Uh, you can run most operating systems on it. They even have an option to use uh, Cubes OS. Okay. You know? So I was I was very tempted by that. That was the thing that tempted me most on the page rather than any of the, the keys. You know, I'd like to kind of... Um, Dare I ask, how much is that device? It starts at 450 euro. I'm probably not the target audience. Mm -hmm. uh, I would think that this would be aimed more at journalists or government officials. Sure. Or anyone who really requires privacy because, you know, it does the, um, it has uh, free and open source uh, uh, boost. I think the, the bias is free and open source. Uh, you know, it's done as much as it can to make the device as uh, secure as possible. Um, you know, so it just comes across to me as as a nice option. And I mean, it might be a good kind of device to have for all your own financial and private business. You know, that you don't want sitting on some computer that's sitting behind some router that just hasn't had a firmware update in 20 years and all that kind of stuff, you know? Yeah, that is a, uh, that's an interesting idea. But I guess, so we started talking this about 2FA and you've kind of brought <laughs> it around to buying yourself a new computer. <laughs> but it's kind of, um, yeah, I hear you with all that and how... Uh, what am I like? No, I mean, I, I understand where you're coming from, but if I think about this, the, the information I have behind my own network in my own LAN, oh, it's tricky, isn't it? I mean, because I have a lot of information that I would not want other people to get access to. And I yeah. have to rely on my own kind of capabilities as an admin to protect my devices as best I can. If somebody walked into my house and walked away with my devices, well, they'd have access to a considerable amount of good stuff. And sometimes I walk well, good stuff, uh, that's questionable, but private information. Um, hmm. And the... And sometimes I just sleep my laptops. So any, yeah. so any, um, what am I trying to say? Any, uh, what's the word? Uh, encryption, hard drive encryption I would have done would have been, could be easily bypassed just by getting a password. Hmm. It's tricky to know what to do with all that. And, and I have my data spread across many devices. So, um, so yeah, so anything I have sitting on a hard drive is done on Lux. But if you were to walk out of my house with a laptop, well, you know, you're pretty much walking out with the contents of the hard drive, um, mm -hmm. which is a bit frightening. But that said, mm. how far do you take this? I mean, it's uh, it's if you walked out of anybody's house, uh, 
with anything, I think you would be potentially, or any office with any device, I think you would be potentially walking away with people's data quite easily. Yeah. Yeah. And I, like we'll say even important paper documents that I have, I keep in a, a lock steel box, mm -hmm. but it's not in a safe. Mm -hmm. You know, so I suppose I have an absolute minimum level of, you know, safety. Like I suppose really important documents are kept with solicitors and they keep them in safes and stuff. Yes. I suppose with my data, I do have an offsite backup. So if all my data disappeared, I'd have access to it. However, that doesn't help with the leaking of data. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But back to 2FA, I don't know how to answer you there. That is a difficult one. Um, I kind of want to give you a punch. <laughs> Which I deserve, to be honest. All this came about from Nextcloud and I put 2FA in my Nextcloud and I have a UU as a user on my Nextcloud and I want to protect uh, my Nextcloud from uh, the possibility of simple password attacks, basically, mm. uh, you know. So th that's the reason 2FA is on my Nextcloud. However, I can't be responsible for your lack of um, attention to... Of course not. And I mean, I wouldn't expect you to. And I mean, you have to take these measures to make sure that your network is safe. I, I totally accept that. Yeah. And I wouldn't I wouldn't expect you to do otherwise. Um, but I suppose either get with the program or fall off the bus or what's the saying? <laughs> Jump out the window. Um, the, the, OK, what I would suggest you do if you were concerned about losing, I suppose people who would be concerned about um, losing a key or whatever, losing two keys, you buy yourself three hardware keys. And, and when <laughs> bear with me, I have ten. two. <laughs> I have two, Mark. Um, I have one hardware key that's, that's carried around with me all the time. And I have one in, well, I'll call it a safe location. If I told you where it actually was, it's not really a safe location. And, and I have one elsewhere, basically. So if I mess up one hardware key, I have a place I can go to for my second hardware key. If I lose my second hardware key, I have access to all the backup codes that that gives me allows me 10 entries into my Nextcloud server using a backup code. And every time I use one backup code, that's one less I have to use the next time I need to make an entry. And how do you securely store those backup codes? Those backup codes are stored on my network and they're on my in, they're encrypted on my um, uh, on my backup. Hmm. So again, if someone infiltrates into your system somehow, your 2FA is redundant. Yeah, I mean, yes. And this is, this is where my thought process is going. How do you make... And again, as we keep saying, it's all about low-hanging fruit. Well, it is, but it's very simple. If you okay, so if you don't want them, you take those, you put those backup codes on an encrypted USB key, then, and then there's no Which way. Which could in. also fail. D do three of those as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I okay. So which could also fail, but I don't know. I mean, 
The rates of failure in my mind are minimal. And so we're talking about, okay, so now we're talking, okay, let's be more realistic. We're talking about, we're, we're extending this show way too long, but we're talking about two mm. backup co- keys and we're talking about two US encrypted USB keys. That's four points of entry into a system where anyone with a web address and a password man and a password prog- password hacking pro- program could get in. You know what I mean? The level behind that we're creating is so much larger and so much more difficult to crack than it is if we're just leaving a web page with a username and password available for anyone with with an internet access to get in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, yes, it's a pain. Yes, it's tedious. Yes, it's more work. Um, but it's just c- cutting down the attack vector. That's kind of where. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I totally get it. But my, my, hap- my haphazard lifestyle uh, largely prevents 2FA from working for me. And I'm sure I'm not the only one. <laughs> I think you might be right, but if you're to put yourself in that category, I think you shouldn't use computers. Oh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. (laughs) Just as well we're about to get to the 100th show. (laughs) (laughs) It is episode 99, folks. We can't believe it either. Um, Hey, I feel like I should jump into my under the hood. Absolutely, yes. It's it's getting uh, quite long at this stage. But sure, we're 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 ninety nine. We're allowed to ramble on. <laughs> we're allowed. To, we we got a bit of uh, we got a bit of play in this one. Indeed. Um, my under the hood. I was going to talk about website privacy settings, and I was going to ask listeners: when you browse to a website, do you click on the manage my cookies button, or do you click OK? I would highly encourage, even though it's a complete pain, clicking the Manage Your Cookies button, because I've noticed a trend recently that if you click on the Manage Your Cookies button, they can't, they, it seems that they can't switch on all the marketing stuff, or, or it seems that they don't switch on all the marketing stuff by default. So when I click on Manage, when I go to a new website and I click on Manage Your Cookies or whatever the question is, or, or more settings or whatever button they put up for you in order to um, check to see what cookies are being stored on you or, or how they're feeding you adverts and the like. I've noticed once I click that button, everything goes to off except essential. And then I just click save these settings. And I do this on every site. Um, mm. I, I don't know. I've just gotten into the habit of it and I uh, cut, uh, just cutting off as much tracing as possible. And yes, it's a complete pain. And I don't know how many people do it. Do you click OK? If you click OK, inst- oh, click OK, have a go at clicking manage your cookies and see how easy it is to switch on or off a, um, the, all the cookies that come attached to a site. Give it a try. Let us know how you get on. Absolutely. But I've noticed a trend lately as well that you've got that, but then you've got this other bit about, um, I don't know what they call it, these essential marketing things or whatever. And all you can do is object to it. Oh, okay. Now, a lot of the sites give you an an object to all. Other sites, Mm -hmm. you have to object to each one, Mm -hmm. you know, whereas originally what you would see is you would have your essential cookies, uh, functional cookies, personal advertising cookies and all this kind of crap. 
and you could just click on those. But now they have this other thing about, um, I can't remember the name of it now, but it's kind of advertising. And all you get the option to do is object to it rather than turn it off, which... Interesting. And what I tend to do with those sites is just not go to them. Yeah, right. Yeah. You're nice. really limiting your web experience, though. You are. You are, yeah. And I'm also surprised at the number of pages with the new versions of Firefox where, come up, where it comes up and says Firefox has protected you from this, that or the other. And you go in and you just see how, much fame, how, much, how many Facebook trackers and all that kind of stuff that there are there. Um, I will also mention, I have this here, that Libre Planet 2021 20, is doing a call for papers. I mean, we spoke about Libre Pan Planet last year. It happens in the spring and I know it's... In we're March, nowhere. isn't it? That's right, yeah. Um, they're doing a call for papers, but uh, I'll put a link in the show notes to all the 2020 presentations if you want to go and have a look at those. When I went to have a look at Libre Planet in the last uh, while, I just went online and had a look at all the 2019 presentations and watched one or two more of those again, and they're quite interesting, actually. Um, it's nice to hear people talk about the things that you believe and the things that you are interested in. It makes us feel semi-validated. <laughs> <laughs> Um, that brings us around to our Irish saying, Mark. What's our Irish saying for this show? Oh, um, Tom Tom Egoma is, I'm good. Indeed. Well, we're all good here. On the 99th episode of the Binary Time Show, the next episode will be our 100th episode. Um, I don't know, we'll, for our next episode, we'll try and do something a little bit special, maybe turn up and uh, talk <laughs> yeah, and uh, exactly. anything more than that. And uh, you're in for a treat. Um, yeah. <laughs> other than that, this is Wayne here signing out from a now sunny Bristol and the light is definitely lightened. Oh, lightened. It's got lighter. Um, uh, oh, I'm confusing myself now. It's brighter. It's brighter. That's what I'm trying to say. Uh, thanks to everyone in the chat. Listen, um, I, we had a look at our Patreon recently and I would like to thank our long term supporters. Thank you, Ben. And thank you, Dave. Um, and, and for all you, all you guys who are supporting us there on Patreon, we uh, definitely believe it. Uh, uh, we believe it. We appreciate it. Oh, it's getting, we've been talking for too long. I can feel it already. Um, and uh, thanks very much. Uh, do write to us. Info at thebinarytimes.net if you want to write to us. Please do. We'd love to hear from your stories. Thank you, Rick, for sending your email in. Great to hear your story. It did inspire me for a while. Um, and uh, I don't know why I added for a while there, but I got the problem, Rick, was I got despondent quite quickly again. Uh, it was nothing to do with uh, with your stuff. It was just uh, my makeup. And um, and yeah, that's it. See you all next time. <laughs> See you later. OK, bye. <laughs>